Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance. An exciting week. Lots of so stuff exciting. going on. Yeah, we're here to make sure the U.S. is financially literate. So anyone who's listening... If you like these episodes, please share them with your friends. Please share them on social so more people find us and we can help make the U.S. financially literate. Once we do, we get to stop our show and just go surfing. And just go surfing, yeah. And, and at this point, I think, you know, we'll stop around age 65. So right on track. In other exciting yeah. news, we are now on YouTube. So if you're listening yes. and say, I hate listening on this podcast app, I want to watch on YouTube, you can watch on YouTube. So we're now there under real personal finance, same content, just video conversation with me and Scott, as opposed to just the audio. Yeah. You get to see how beautiful James is in real life oh, and how it. wrinkly I'm getting and how much younger James is than I am. It's great. <laughs> James is 20 really years old and talking here about finance. No, but yeah, really on real personal finance on YouTube, same content, but I know a lot more people are starting to listen to stuff on YouTube. And I think we're going to do more sketching type stuff, more graphic type yes. stuff. And as we do, we want to have a platform where people can see it. So Scott's not sketching just for me to see, but not the audience and vice versa. So Exactly. And then the last little announcement is, you know, we love your listener questions and we always give that caveat of it depends. And we'll probably keep giving the caveat of it depends because we'll never know everything about your financial life. But when you want to submit a financial question from this point on, we're just going to ask you, we're going to send you a link to a financial monitoring system that I'm using in my practice called Elements. And what it'll do is it'll allow you to put in some basic financial information that will create a scorecard that James and I can use to really help frame the answers for the conversation way better than we're able to do now with the information that you send as is. So if you're interested in having a question answered, please go to realpersonalfinance.co, hit submit a question, submit your question, and then I'll follow up with next steps. Very good. And then we'll give more specific guidance, which helps the person who submitted the question. And I think it provides more context for the rest of the audience. So Absolutely. more win-wins. Absolutely. Now, today I was thinking that we could talk about the market. And I'm putting the market in quotes because people often you're at the barbecue or you're at work or you're at home on a Zoom call and someone's talking about what the markets are doing today. And I think it's just good to chat through what the market actually is or the way people might think about what the market is. And we can break that down a little bit today. I love this topic because I think there's a misconception of what the market is. And I think financial advisors are guilty of talking about the market, but not taking enough time to define what is it specifically that we're talking about. And many times we'll use the term the market, but in different contexts, meaning different actual sub investments. So let's talk about this because this is important as you're designing a portfolio and designing a plan. 
Where yeah. do we start? Well, I think we start with what the most commonly named market, in quotes, probably is. What do you hear most commonly when you hear someone like the news talking about the stock market? Like I'm thinking about like NPR is announcing it on the daily news or, you know, the nightly news is telling you what happened today. What's the most common? You'll get a couple market. Dow Jones. Dow Jones Industrial Average. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average has been around since like the early 1900s. And it's the 30 companies in the Dow Jones. That's and there's really no, they're not put in by being the largest companies in the US. It's just, here are the 30 companies that Dow Jones thinks should be in the industrial average. Yeah. Even the term market, you know, what is market? Well, what's a supermarket? What's a stock market? It's just a place where you can go to buy goods. And so think of, you know, a Dow Jones might be like that little market. Now, some of these companies are huge companies, but there's not a huge selection of them. There's a limited number of companies actually within that. So if you buy the Dow Jones market, you're buying those 30 companies or you're typically buying a fund that gets you exposure to those by that fund than owning those 30 different companies. Such a good point. Yes. And the interesting, you know, funny thing about the Dow Jones industrial average is we've talked before on the show about how most indexes are what's called market capitalization weighted. So they will take the biggest slice of the biggest company and they'll take the smallest slice of the smallest company. The Dow Jones industrial average, unless it's changed back when I learned about it in college is price weighted. So it actually looks at the stock price to help do the weighting for the Dow Jones industrial average, which is just kind of a funky way to see what the market's doing. But people talk about it all the time. So just wanted to bring it up here as we start diving into this topic. So now, what do you think is the, the next one? Well, the next one you might look NASDAQ is popular. NASDAQ's yep. a popular market people talk about. See it all the time. Yep. The NASDAQ is really an exchange, right? It's a place where companies can go make public offerings, just like the New York Stock Exchange, where you see that bell ringing on national news. The NASDAQ doesn't have a trading floor. It just trades between markets, basically between a bunch of computers all across the country all the time. And there's about 3,400 companies on the NASDAQ. They're US and international. One thing I think about the NASDAQ is people often think it's like a technology companies are there and that's it. But that's not really not the case, is it? And there are quite a number of them, but within the NASDAQ, there's more than just that. Right. It's an example of something that's not tech company in the NASDAQ. Pepsi trades on the NASDAQ, right? Like Not a tech company. It's about as consumer staple as you can get, right? Yeah. So the NASDAQ is basically just a place where stocks trade and international US trade. trades. Yeah. And as you're mentioning, 3,400 stocks or so. Now it's people look at this, oh, 3,400, that's a lot of stocks. Like I'm just totally. diversified. But look at the top five stocks in that index. What percentage of the index is held in the top five stocks there? I love that you're getting at that. I want to get to that in a second. Ah. Really want to go there. It's now. All good. You're close. We'll go in a second. I want to do two. I want to do two. What's the other common index that people hear about on the news? The Standard and Poor's 500 or the S and P yeah. 500, which we talk about all the time, right? That's kind of we will just talk about what's the S and P doing with that market downturn. That's that typically happened. the market we're talking. If we're saying the market, and granted, as I mentioned, we should probably be more specific. That's generally what we're talking about when we yes say that term. Agreed, which is the 500 largest companies. It's really like the 505 or 506 largest companies in the United States by market capitalization. Market capitalization means number of shares trading times the price. So, you know, 
the five biggest companies as of the end of last year were Apple, Microsoft, Google, which is called Alphabet, Amazon, and Tesla. Now, they're, Tesla's probably not in the top five anymore. But back then, the last time we had this data, they were. Those are the top five. Yep. Now, those are going to be the top five across any US, across the US market as a whole, right? And the other thing that doesn't really necessarily have an index, but if you just think about the way, if you could trade any stock on a public exchange in the United States, there are about 3,900 stocks in the United States that make up the US stock market. Yeah. The point that you were making was such a good one. How much, what was the weighting of those top five stocks? Because that answer changes depending on what market in quotes you're looking at, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing is the Dow Jones Industrial Average doesn't have all of the top five in it, right? It only has two of the stocks in it. So we'll get to its number, but let's just think about the total stock market as a whole. So 100% of the stock market, the NASDAQ only makes up, it has 3,400 stocks in it, but it only makes up about half of the US stock market. In terms of weight? In terms of size. Yeah. In terms of total weight. Yeah. The S&P 500 makes up about 84% of the US stock market, right? So the small is about 16%. The large is 84%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is only 24% of the US stock market. So you might have someone show up and be like, hey, I'm invested in the US. What are you invested in? The Dow Jones Industrial Average. 75% of the US market's not in your portfolio. Yeah, you're missing 75% of the value of the market as a whole, and you're missing 3,900 actual US stocks that aren't even included right. in your investment. So it's going to hold the yes. biggest. So by market capitalization, it's got a quarter of it. But it's not easy or it's not difficult to look at this and see, okay, I can see how owning just the Dow Jones Industrial is not truly capturing the performance or what's happening in the entirety of the US market. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what about those weightings we were talking about, those top five stocks? Because oftentimes people will come and they'll be like, hey, I want to invest in the winners, right? And if you own any of these indexes, you basically do own, except we'll get to the Dow, but if you own the other three, total market, NASDAQ, or the S&P 500, you own those top five biggest stocks. Yep. The question is, how much of them do you own relative to the other stocks in your portfolio? Yeah, exactly. Do you have you some numbers on that? I do. And it's okay. There's 3,900 plus stocks in the US market. You say, wow, that's a lot. Well, the majority of the value is held in the top 5, 10, 15, 20, et cetera. So if you own the S&P 500, which is generally going to be about the biggest 500, not a precise definition, but on average, the largest of the 500 or so of those companies, you're looking at about 23% of that index or of that investment being held in the top five companies, Apple, so Microsoft, I own Google, 500 companies. I own 500 companies, but five of them are worth 25% of the total 500. Yep. Wow. Then the NASDAQ get even a bit more of that with the yeah. NASDAQ, those top five companies that represents almost 40% of the entirety of the NASDAQ. So sure, you own the whole thing. There's 3,400, 3,454, but the majority of it, not the majority, but a very overwhelming portion of that is concentrated in those top five stocks. Interesting. Yeah. What about the Dow Jones? 
The Dow Jones is interesting because it only actually has two of the top five stocks in it, which is Apple, Microsoft. Doesn't have Google, doesn't have Amazon, doesn't have Tesla. So it has 9%. 9% of the Dow Jones is weighed in the top five stocks, which is, again, is really just the two, Apple, Microsoft. Yeah. Really? This is like a, hey, go check us out on YouTube. Maybe you can share an image of this, Scott. Share an image yeah, of this. Totally. And what people can actually do is come take a look because it's actually a pretty compelling and very interesting breakdown when you actually start to see, okay, there's not one single market as you're talking about. And then even once you do break down these submarkets, how much of it's actually spread out and diversified and how much of it is concentrated in a handful of these individual stocks like the Apples, the Googles, the Teslas, et cetera. My share is apparently really thinking hard right now. So let me know if you see it. Oh, I see, I see it. it. Do you see it? Yep. Hey, it works. Yeah, this is the key, right? Total market, 19%, those top five stocks. Fascinating, right? So I can own 3,900 companies and the five biggest, if I do index market cap weighted, will still be 20% of my US exposure. So I still get the ability to reap the rewards of the largest companies continuing hopefully to be the winners. Now we've had previous episodes where we've talked about how the largest stocks typically don't remain the largest stocks over time because that's kind of the law of diminishing returns. As you become one of the biggest, it becomes harder and harder for you to keep up with the growth that you've seen in the past. But what are your key takeaways from this chat so far and just chatting about the market? Some of it's just informational almost of, okay, there's this, I'll go back to it. People talk about the market. Well, what Mm -hmm. is the market? Is it the Dow Jones? Is it the NASDAQ? Is it the S&P 500? Is it the total US market? Our answer, skipping ahead, is probably going to be, it's actually none of those. This is even still a little bit limited in its scope. Yes. But understanding what you're looking at. And number two, this gets more a little bit in depth into specific asset allocation strategies. But if people say, oh, I want domestic and international and large and small, I'm just going to equally own all of them. Well, we know that over time, historically, smalls outperformed large. And if you just look at this and say equally weight to everything, the large companies just dominate that because they make up such a greater percentage of the total value of the stock market. So are there other ways of capturing some of the growth? I know that's kind of getting a little bit more detailed, maybe for a different episode, but start with when people say the market, well, what are they referring to? Because there's some actual implications of that in terms of what you're owning, how concentrated it is and how your portfolio should compare relative to that. Absolutely. You know, and as you said, when we talk about the market, we typically are talking S&P 500. But when I think about the market in the US, I always think about, I think about the Russell 3000, which is the 3000 largest companies in the US. Now, at the end of the day, there's really 3,900 companies. So we really, we want to have the opportunity work in our favor. And, you know, actually, I think it was an episode or two ago, we talked about what is the best returning stock in the, I think we said globally, right? Since the year 2000. Do you remember what the answer was? Monster Energy. Monster Energy. I think it was 37.5%. $100,000 investment in 2000 turned into $106 million at the end of last year. Now, clearly none of us are going to go, we're not ever advocating for go put your money on one stock for 21 years and just see what happens, right? But that is a small capitalization stock. And having that small cap exposure helped improve your return over that period of time. You also want to have access to these big stocks. So 
I can go invest in the total U.S. stock market, have 3,900 stocks, including Monster Energy, and I still get 20% of my exposure to my larger cap stocks. That seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And as I mentioned, this isn't even the entirety of the global right. market. This is specific yeah. to U.S. Where does this fall in line with overall global diversification or overall global Yeah. Markets? So if we just think through for a second... The U.S. market is about 60% of the world stock market that you can go trade on exchanges any given day. So that's as of June of this year, right? About $37.6 trillion trades in the United States. That's just such a big number. It's crazy, right? Developed markets. What percentage is developed markets? Do you remember? 28 to 30%, I want to say top of my head, yep. you recall the exact number? Yep. It clocked in at 29%. So you're basically spot on $18.1 trillion of market capitalization that you can trade there. And so that's like, you know, the United Kingdom and Japan and like the European countries, Germany, are kind of going to be in yep. that space. The yeah. international developed markets and then international emerging markets. Mm -hmm. What percent that? makes up that? 12% $7.4 trillion. So that's going to be like China, Brazil, India, the developing industries. They're not, you know, they essentially didn't go through the industrial revolution when like US and the, you know, post-World War II era developed countries did. That's kind of after the fact. But you bring all of those in and I'm just going to share a different piece of information and big shout out to Dimensional for providing this data because it's just such a great breakdown of this data. In the global market, there's over 16,300 companies that we can trade. So it's just a huge number, right? Now the top five internationally are still going to be Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and Tesla. What percentage are the top five going to make up of the 16,300 companies? 11%. Yeah. 11%. Yeah. yeah. So now I can go open up my diversification. I can, you know, if the Czech Republic crushes it, I win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly though, when you look at this, the beauty of global diversification is, and there's a couple of different ways you could go with this, but there's concern of why would we invest in some of these really small countries around the world? Well, I mean, if you think about it, Apple alone is greater than the size of entire countries' stock markets. Mm -hmm. So when you mm -hmm. look at this, this isn't saying okay, put as much weight in the Czech Republic stock market as you would in the US stock market, as much as it is saying there's so many opportunities around the world, the best performing stock of this year or this decade or the next 20 years is likely going to be a stock that you're not even thinking about right now. So yep. instead of just trying to chase the winners the past five or 10 years, you're naturally going to do that by being globally diversified. You're going to own the 100%. Apples and Microsofts and Googles and Amazons and Tesla just by virtue of them being the largest companies in the world, let's also make sure we're owning everything else, at least most of everything else. So we're capturing that performance. And the other key takeaway for the, you asked Scott, what's the takeaway? Well, it's hard when you do have a globally diversified portfolio and you're comparing it to the quote unquote market, but that market isn't properly defined. You might be comparing apples and oranges. You might totally. be saying, well, what the heck is going on? My globally diversified portfolio is up 15%, but the S&P 500, which is the market, is up 25 What am I doing wrong? Well, it just no, comes down to an understanding of what the market is that you're comparing it to.
Totally agree. You know what I would add, the only thing I would really add to what you're already saying, well, really two things. One, let's just measure the market. Now, again, we've measured it before, right? Just the US and you know the US market compared to just the NASDAQ was 50% and the S&P was 85%. Well, now when we zoom out to the global market, you know, 100% global market, 16,000 companies, 16,300 companies, well, total markets now 59%, 60%. We talked about that, right? S&P 500 is now 50% of the global market. So if we just go invest in the S&P 500, we're literally missing out on a potential 50% of what could be positive returns. We're just leaving off the table. That's kind of how I view it. You go to the NASDAQ, you're down to 30. You go to the Dow Jones, you're down to 14%. So if you're trading those thinking you're fully invested in the market, you're really leaving a lot of expected return off the table. You don't even get the chance to reap those rewards. That's the second point I would give. You know, some people think like, well, the US, I already have all my stuff in the US. I don't need to invest internationally. And I love Chevy and Ford too. But Toyota is the number one car manufacturer in the world. And I also really like Jeep and Fiat. And that's an Italian company now, right? So like, I want to go all over the world to reap the rewards of capitalism. I don't want to just invest in the United States. Right, right. Exactly. And to take a step further, this is just stock markets, equity markets. If your portfolio contains bonds or real estate or commodities or something else, that just continues to expand the universe of what's possible. So how do you understand what different markets are? How do you align your portfolio in a way that's invested in the right markets? And in doing so, you're probably going to have a much better investor experience because you have an accurate comparison and you understand what all the different components are that you could invest in and therefore could probably have a better time, a better go at it. Exactly. So hopefully we've helped you understand a bit more about what, quote, the market is and hopefully what it you may not want it to be. And in my mind, I don't know if you, you know, I feel like, James, you feel similarly, but if you don't share, I think the broader you can invest, typically the better for you in the end. Mm -hmm. I fully agree. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to add today besides another shout out and go listen on YouTube, Real Personal Finance, but anything else that you want to add to this conversation? Yeah. If there's any dermatologists listening or watching the video, I would love to be sponsored by you and you can give me some Botox injections so my forehead can look like James's. Oh, well, dermatologists. That's all I got. Stone Steps Financial. Crow's feet at stonestepsfinancial.com. Yeah, let's go. Right on. Well, thanks, Scott. All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.